Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello everyone and welcome to our show. Today we discuss about security, how you can pro, uh, save and protect your website from hacking attacks. And from my experience, uh, I had terrible time with that. Uh, my websites were hacked two times. I lost a lot of traffic and revenue. It, it's hard to count them. Uh, and uh, I spent uh, three months to get it back uh, by working hard and trying to find them. That's why I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Samir. How are you? Hi, Anatoly. I'm good. And yourself? Yeah, I'm good. I'm in Turkey now. It, uh, <laughs> I usually record uh, on my studio in Ukraine, but today I need to visit my relatives. Yeah, but uh, that's okay. You know, for me, it doesn't matter. I'm in vacation or any other places. Uh, if you love what you do, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Okay. True, and you're working from every place anyway these days remotely, so uh, it's a nice yeah. change of scenery. It doesn't hurt my feeling. <laughs> okay, before we start, uh, tell about your background, your experience, and why you decided to take this topic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Look, um, so as you know, I'm Sumit. I've recently just founded uh, my own business, which is called Aracena. And Aracena pretty much uh, upskills you in emerging technology. So emerging technology is like an umbrella term for your cyber, data, uh, IoT, blockchain, cloud, pretty much all of these is what we term emerging technologies. And we pretty much upskill you in that. So we actually create new content from scratch. Uh, we find new innovative ways of teaching. So we're actually researching some new ways like sketch noting, theatrical training, or other of these adult learning methodologies that we can actually deliver uh, remotely or in person, uh, especially obviously with this COVID uh, time, a lot of things are remotely. So you've got to be keeping things a lot more engaging. Uh, you obviously want to be reducing Zoom fatigue. And um, thirdly, we actually go ahead and deliver it. So in essence, that pretty much wraps up all of those. Yeah. And what we do is we focus a lot on um, work outcomes. So we build uh, training blocks and we build all this content with different different blocks and what happens is whenever someone needs to learn how to do something we actually tailor that uh, as a back to front so if you think about your usual uh, training course or something you might have learning objective one learn the history of this learn a uh, learning objective two understand this and learning objective three uh, what we actually do is we say okay this is what you want to do at work uh, we will teach you how to do it while you do it for your organization. So the company will actually end up having all their teams upskilled and trained in how to do whatever the deliverable they need to do, whether that be, you know, we need to present a business case for adopting a new cloud strategy um, to the board. We will teach you how to do that. And we do that in short, short sharp, four to six week sprints. And in that way, everyone's actually getting hands-on practical knowledge while learning how to do it and you've got a lower dependency on contractors and consultants and having to outsource things. Yeah, interesting. Uh, let's talk about creating content. Uh, uh, you create educational content. Uh, yes. Uh, can you tell how do you find these topics? For example, uh, from my experience, I often see when webmasters or any companies, they usually chase uh, high uh, 
volume topics, you know, uh, and uh, we have a lot of uh, other high quality content on these topics. It's not the best way. Can you share your insights about that? How do you find uh, something unique? Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, how do you learn your customers before creating content for them? Yeah, look, uh, it's quite a deep question, Anatoly. <laughs> well, look, I'll try and I'll try and uh, I guess take you through the methodology and I guess mm -hmm. what the thought process was. Uh, it's a bit on a few fronts. So one is my own background, and the second is what's actually happening globally, and the third is actually the voice of people and what they're constantly banging their heads and asking for. So I guess if you put the three together, that pretty much provides the answer of where you need to go. So if I take you through that, I guess the first step is my background. Um, so I guess before I founded this um, uh, company in Aracena, what uh, my background is is quite a whole unique mix mix of things. I've always been known to fuse and mix different things and, you know, teach different topics in different ways or, you know, borrowing something from another industry and using that to teach a different industry. So I guess to give you a bit of my background, I am actually a chartered accountant on one end. Uh, I'm a certified ethical hacker on the other end. I have been interim chief risk officer, I've held head of enterprise risk, so I've done a lot of risk management um, for uh, organizations in financial services. And on the other side, I used to teach four disciplines of science at the university, uh, which was chemistry for science, uh, medicine, uh, material science and engineering, and health and safety science. So if you look at the compass, the northeast, southwest, they're completely at opposite ends of different spectrums. But what I've been able to do is combine, you know, bits and pieces of different areas and provide those as best practices for other industries or how can you actually combine them? And that sort of fusion thing or that fusion theme has sort of stuck with me and people uh, now associate me with being that fusion person. <laughs> so I guess that probably is the background and I guess why, why me? Why is it always... Um, you know, why is it my background that dictates what kind of content and how we're actually going to be doing it is because I love this whole, you know, learning new things and pushing yourself in different boundaries. And you'll see a lot of our programs as well. What we like to do is, and you asked that question about, well, what about a master's in, you know, uh, do a master's in security and then do I need to do a master's in um, risk management and then do I need to do a leadership certification? That means I need to do three degrees or three master's degrees and 12 to 24 months each. Um, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of money. So I guess to address that, what we've been doing is we've actually fusing them together. So say if uh, you wanted to actually learn how to build a cloud migration strategy program and present it as a business case to your C-suites or maybe your board of directors, then we would actually teach you how would you go about building a business strategy and actually present it as a business case. One of two methodologies, um, take a step back. Oh, well, if you need to build a business case, you need to actually know the financial component of it. That would be one other learning objective or a work outcome. Take another step back, we'll teach you the risk management. Take another step back, we'll teach you the cloud component of it, which is the cloud security. And that pretty much is a five-week program then that's tailored back to front based on what you need to know without you actually having to do, you know, uh, that many master's degrees. Mm -hmm. So that's a bit of an indication of my background and 
what people you know are facing so you're not the only one that's asking me this question i guess there's a lot of people out there they're like oh smeet how you know how do i go about um training myself how do i go about learning these skills in security given that you know all this hacking is happening out there there's all these um compromises of data bases or breaches that are happening how do i go about learning how to deal with this but then how do i learn all these other things there's it's too much to cover so that's i guess where the fusion or blending different programs actually comes into play and then delivering that as a training and upskilling program is what we specialize in i guess the other limb to your question was how um what's actually happening around the world like as in how do you how do you decide what it should be and the reason why we chose emerging technology is um I'm not too sure if you're familiar with the World Economic Forum, the Future of Jobs reports and all of those industry reports. Um I think there's so many out there, but if I was to summarize it um for your listeners and I guess anyone that's joining this podcast today is if you really look at what the World Economic Forum is saying, it's not really saying that oh, you know, robots are going to take our jobs or anything. It's what kind of skills um top 10 school skills are going to be in demand. heading into 2025 and what are the 10 skills that are sort of going to drop off uh, over the next 4 to 5 years and if you look at those top 10 skills what's really interesting to see is 8 out of those 10 are in emerging technology so your cyber your data your iot your cloud all these components there 8 out of those top 10 are actually in emerging technology so when people ask well what kind of skill set or what area should we be focusing on Well that's your answer it is emerging technology and it's not just about you know robots taking over your jobs and then you losing your jobs what's actually going to happen is um as and things as and when things get more automated or you introduce more robotics or you put things onto the blockchain or whatever it may be you're going to be doing some sort of digital transformation uh in your career um or your organization is going to be which is going to impact your role but what i want i guess our listeners to understand is that it's not going to definitely replace your role but it will augment it and it's how you actually learn those skills so that okay well now i don't actually need to be doing this manual entry this is what i need to be doing more uh as a way to complement this technology and use this technology or protect this technology in case if it's you know in a cyber role so I guess that dictates what's actually happening around the world and what the skills that are needed and then how do you go about acquiring it and then sort of a bit of my background as to why I bring that flavor in. I guess if you put those three together that's that's how that's how literally we decide which topics are in and which topics are out. Does that sort of I guess give a bit more of a background? Yeah, your background is is big, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Huge. Okay. Uh uh According to your um, explanation, uh, I want to start from the question that people often ask me. Um, uh, you decided to launch your company. Uh, why you decided to do this? Uh, you mean uh, you worked in other companies and you felt that you can go ahead with your company, you can provide something unique uh, to use your previous experience? Uh, um, I want to ask this question because uh, I often get this question from my audience. They want to know how to launch my company. I don't want to work for anybody else. Uh, yeah, provide your insights about that. Oh yeah, look. Um I I think it's really a choice thing at the end of the day. Yes, um I did work with other organizations, uh, worked across um uh industry and consulting I've worked in academia 
uh, SaaS startups and um, global tech um, companies, uh, you know, teaching at the universities. Uh, it's been, you know, a whole range of T1 and mid-T consulting uh, and different industry roles as well. So whether that be in cyber or in risk or in data uh, or, you know, a whole host of things. So I felt like, you know, by doing all these different areas and really covering all those really weird and different angles, I felt like I'd built quite a strong base. So if you think about building, I guess, your career pyramid per se, those fundamental skills that you need to be having as at the groundwork, you know, can you um, be able to uh, take on certain roles or, you know, in certain industries and actually having a good grasp of that. I felt like, look, I'd, I'd done that quite significantly. There's a lot of value that I've added to industry. Um, in consulting, I was able to obviously add a lot of value to different companies. But how do we actually go about addressing this talent gap? Um, so the World Economic Forum has already indicated that 50% of the workforce will need to reskill by 2025. And if you think about it, we're already 40% milestone hit. And a lot of people are still stressing like, well, we still don't have the skills that we need. And so what they did was there were a few industry, I guess, all these consulting firms and um, other industries uh, bodies, they did a survey globally of all the C-suites, board directors and head ofs, and they even dropped it down to any divisional head ofs, and they surveyed all of them and said, okay, how many are actually facing a skills gap? You know, is everyone still okay? And the figure came back at 87%. So if we just pause there and think about it, 87% of executives are saying that they're facing a skills gap or are expected to face it by 2025. And that's after we've been doing all these different certifications and we've been doing all these courses online, but still we're facing such a huge skills gap. And the, if you really look at the root cause of it, it's everyone's complaining, whether it be uh, the uh, company that it's actually providing the training programs, or if it's the uh, people or the employees that are actually trying to do these learning and development programs and skills, it's not having a business impact. Only a third of it is having a business impact. And that's, I guess, where the common fallacy lies. Everyone thinks, oh, well, look, we're doing all these courses. You know, we've done all this. I've got this certificate. I've got that certificate. I've got that badge. But at the end of the day, when it comes to doing the deliverable for work and having that business impact, that's not happening. And it became very important um, for me at that point to say, well, look, there's only so much you can do when you're doing it within an organization. But how do you go about helping everyone else? How do you actually bring that awareness in? And how do you provide that solution to everyone? And to be able to you know, provide that sort of protection or shield um, to a lot of people. And at the end of the day, it's about providing quality education for everybody, right? That's the sustainable development goal that UNESCO tells us. So doing that for one organization or doing it for a few clients just doesn't have enough reach or a global impact as doing it for doing it as my own business. Because now I've got the flexibility and freedom to scale all across the world, whomever needs it, we're there to support. So I guess that's probably the main reason um, for me. But it could be a host of different things, I guess, for your listeners. So I know we all get asked that question in terms of you know, should I start up or should I not? Uh, what should I do it in? Uh, I guess it really comes down to uh, what's the problem? 
that you're facing and are you passionate about that area? And if so, uh, can you have uh, more of an impact doing it with your own company or doing it for one company? And if you can answer those three questions, I think you've got your answer in terms of whether you start up or not. Yeah, you know, uh, um, I can reply to this question. You should. <laughs> <It doesn't laughs> yeah. You should just do it. <laughs> Don't wait that you can uh, get some uh, quick results. Just go ahead. And yeah, you mentioned about um, uh, gap uh, in skills uh, from uh, executives. Uh, uh, from my experience, for example, uh, I know that it takes time to learn digital marketing, uh, SEO, uh, to craft the right strategy, and yeah, uh, and results uh, depend on experience uh, when you uh, craft the right strategy uh, and uh, implement uh, with your skills because generic methods don't work. Can you tell more? Uh, uh, do you help to uh, improve skills a little bit or uh, lead them in the right direction and they can cooperate with uh, specialists in this field? Uh, or you can provide uh, more insights and make them um, probably uh, experts uh, in some uh, topics and niches? Yeah, look, that's a good question. I guess just to clarify, um, I guess you could answer that in two different ways depending on how you break down the question. Are you and your, I guess, listeners more interested in knowing uh, how the upskilling um, or how an upskilling program should have an effect on, like, as in what they should look for, or um, I guess the flip side on what the outcome is, or both? Uh, I think it depends uh, on the goals because someone wanna get uh, deep knowledge, others might wanna know and, and understand the topic. For example, uh, I usually have uh, higher results with people who understand SEO. If they understand, we can uh, uh, work together, you know, we can provide results as a cohesive team. Uh, but when they don't understand, uh, I started to teach them because uh, it's hard to provide results uh, when people don't understand and tell your magician, just uh, bring me traffic. How I can do it? You know, it's the same uh, with training. For example, if you go to the gym, wanna build muscles. If you don't understand uh, why you need to train, eat uh, healthy food, uh, have the rest, you can't get success with that. Uh, if you want to lose weight, it's the same. Yeah, you, you need yeah. to understand why you do it. Uh, and yeah, just provide insights uh, how you can help others uh, uh, to, to get uh, some skills and they can go ahead themselves yeah. or just to understand the topic and hire or delegate tasks to someone else. Gotcha. Gotcha. No, no, I think that's a, um, that's a very good um, point. What I might do actually, um, I guess now that you've touched on the whole muscle building, uh, how about if I give everyone a fitness example? Uh, this is whenever I use this, everyone everyone gets it the first time. So hopefully this one's going to work. So I guess going off your uh, muscle building or um, nutrition or uh, I guess weight training program, whatever you want to call it, if we use that as an example, I guess to answer the first part of your question is, well, how do I actually find something or how do I assess um, something as whether that's going to be good for me or a good fit for me so that I can learn the skills necessary to do that job? Uh, like you're saying, you know, otherwise you have to constantly coach and train them. Yes, that's one component of it. But what can, I guess, people proactively do themselves 
uh, when it comes. And like you mentioned, um, cybersecurity and, you know, like as in the websites getting hacked and all that, that's one example. And then, okay, how do you go about responding to that? Um, so when you started off the uh, conversation today, that was the example you gave. So let's actually build on that example. So say if your you know, website had been um, hacked, um, how do you actually go about building or having in place a recovery program and how do you actually come back to you know, your norm? So it's like a disaster recovery or you know, your business continuity. How do I go about learning that? What do I look for? Because I can tell you I've uh, been through this pain point myself. I've done hundreds and hundreds of different things of different aspects and you know, there's a flood of things out on there on the market. And then whenever you look at maybe sort of LinkedIn, every second person is posting, hey, look, I did this certificate, I did this badge, I did this, I did that. Um, but at the end of the day, it still comes down to the problem that it's not having a business impact. It's not actually translating in you being able to do the work that you need to do in your career. So I guess if we take that fitness example, what I like to do is I like to point out two traditional pillars and then we'll add the third pillar, which is another way that people can look into. So your traditional pillar is pillar one, which is something like your educational institution. So think of this as your degrees or your diplomas or, um, you know, those institutes that provide a certificate for in um, uh, cyber essentials or uh, certificate three in uh, cyber security risk management or something like that. So that's pretty much what I'd um, all combine together with your universities and everyone into pillar one. What's actually happening there? You are studying, you are usually classroom orientated, uh, you have a set structure, you have a set syllabus, so that goes everything just from scratch, and you learn all the theory. So, okay, this is what um, a cyber security vector is, this is what a virus is, this is what a worm is, this is what um, uh, a, um, I don't know, cross-site scripting is, and that's what's, you know, breached my, um, or that's what's actually uh, ruined my website. And so that's the security vector. Uh, how do I actually go about, you know, uh, identifying that and having an awareness of that? So what it does is it builds a very, very strong and deep uh, understanding of the topic. That's what your pillar one is. That's what the whole focus is. And it's very structured and it can be, you know, anywhere between 12, 24 to 36 months, depending on the type of program. So it's very lengthy, very structured, um, and it's not that flexible, but you're getting a very solid base or understanding of what the topic matter is. Pillar two, um, which is on the far right, is things like your um, uh, open, open uh, courses. Uh, so your MOOCs, uh, I guess, is what you'd call them. So they're your, all your online uh, online courses, online videos. So, yep, you can do a lot of these. Just listen to them at your uh, own pace. So they're usually self-paced. They can range anywhere between one day to 12 months. And they would all be situated about learning or gaining an awareness of something. And... I just want to pause there. That's a very important thing because there's such a flood of them in the market. Uh, anything where you're doing these self-paced videos, just you know, click, 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 um, or uh, listen to the course on you know double the speed, and you're just learning about what that topic area is. So what that's good is for creating an awareness. You have an idea of okay, yeah, this is what cybersecurity is, or this is what risk management is. This is what 
IoT is all about. Um, this is what the blockchain is, right? It's providing you that awareness. It's no different from you actually going ahead and um, you know reading a few documents um, and maybe a few publications, and then watching a couple of YouTube videos, and you know you're you're getting that foundational level of okay. Or you've got the foundational level, but it's bringing you that sort of extra step. Okay, you've got an awareness about a certain topic. But again, it's very fast and you can do it on your own and it can be flexible or it can be structured. So that's the two pillars that everyone's usually um, uh, familiar with. So if I bring the fitness example, think about it this way. When you go to um, an institution, you go for a degree, you go for your TAFE, you go for your diploma, you go for a certification, that's like actually having a personal trainer. You go in, someone's teaching you, okay, this is how, Anatoly, this is how you should be lifting a dumbbell. Don't make sure, make sure you don't sprain your back. It's all um, tailored program for you, but it's very structured and it's targeting a certain specific muscle group, right? Um, and it's building, I guess, your fundamental sort of your body structure, you could say. On the other hand, that pillar two, all those MOOCs that you're doing, that's kind of like you going into the gym and doing your own routine. So you might be going, okay, you know what? For the first 15 minutes, I'm gonna do all these aerobic exercises. Then I'm gonna do some weight training. Then I might, you know, jump on the um, cycle and you know, do a bit there. Then I might jump on the treadmill and you've got your own routine worked out and you're doing them all at your own pace. So does that sort of make sense, I guess, with the two original pillars? If we go down in, and I guess what the listeners should be thinking about and you know, spreading their horizon on and really keeping an open mind is this other third pillar. And I guess this is what um, uh, inspired me as well to create Aracena was to tap into this third pillar and actually carve out a new um, place. And that is something where you're actually having work outcome specific. So it should be tailored program to you and what you need to learn, but it should actually have a work outcome. So it's kind of a hybrid in between, you know, you're not going down the full self-paced and you're not going down the, you know, structured classrooms. It should have the flexibility to be what you want to learn. And if you can find a program that's tailored to you, your L&D department in your organization should be your first port of call. You know, if they can actually provide something like this, how do we actually go about learning this? And this is what I need to do for my work. And then these are the things that I need to know on how to do that. If someone can actually match that for you as an upskilling program, that's kind of your pillar three. And what I liken to that with is, um, you know, those all uh, really uh, classy new gyms that are coming up with those um, hit, hit programs or high intensity interval training. You do this really, really high intensity bike and then you do all these kettlebell exercises and it's targeting all those specific muscle groups in your upper body that you're focusing on. And then it's building the strength for you so you can actually, or maybe it's the leg exercises so that you're actually getting prepared to run that marathon later. It's targeting specifically that. So I guess for your audience and I guess for all of us, what we should really be keeping an open eye on, given that there's so many things happening out there in the market, if you can differentiate between these three pillars, it'll tell you exactly what you should take and what you should choose. And I guess this goes back to your earlier question, uh, Sumit, what about all these master's degrees programs or should I do all of them? I guess if you look at these fitness examples, you know, are you actually using a personal trainer? Are you actually doing your own um, gym routine? Or are you doing like a high intensity interval training for certain things so you can short and sharp boost that kind of skill set? 
that's pretty much if you can categorize anything in those i would put them in those three buckets and based on what you need choose accordingly yeah valuable what a, <laughs> i love this <laughs> <laughs> well i guess given that you know everyone's been through lockdowns uh, i figured everyone's probably uh you know looking at fitness programs anyway um the same thing goes for your intellectual um, fitness program as well and your skills programs so it's no different whether it be that muscle group or whether it be your brain <laughs> yeah and uh i used uh, a few uh applications on my iphone you know <laughs> they can help me with that <laughs> if uh no if i uh, can't go uh, outside or to the gym i can do it at home you know <laughs> yeah i have a personal trainer by the way it's much better than you do it yourself when you uh, because you know it's hard to force uh, to go to do it but with these applications yeah <laughs> okay let's talk about um things that a website owners or companies can do it today for example if they have no knowledge they want to get them but uh, where uh, they can start to set up patent viruses uh, uh, to two type of verifications or something like this uh, because uh, I know uh, prevention costs significantly less than <laughs> uh, treatment. Yeah, no, look, that's a good question. I'm going to surprise you with this answer. There is one way. Um, it's a magic bullet. Um, I'm not putting a marketing spin on it, but uh, there is one way you can prevent all cyber attacks um, on your system. And um, just one thing that you need to do, and you can prevent everything. And that's pretty much to shut off the system, close your business, and don't do any business. It's <laughs> a simple answer. Oh, no <laughs> way. <laughs> no, no, but look, uh, look, I know, I know, I that was kind of, you know, anticlimax. <laughs> but so no, no, it's a very important, it's a very important point because um, if, you, if, you, if, you don't, if you don't want to be hacked, you pretty much close shop and don't do anything. If you're not doing anything, you're not in the market, you're not a, you know, like as in you're not using anything, you've closed down your business. But this is, it's very important. And the reason why I use this example is because everything is a risk-based approach. You know, because people always say, well, how can I, you know, 100% protect myself from all cyber attacks and prevent everything? And I guess leading on from this sort of skills discussion we've had and sort of the skills that are necessary that you should be learning or upskilling in, um, cyber obviously being one of them and one of the emerging technologies, is actually having a um, sound understanding of um, the technology itself. So prevention, yes, you can 100% prevent, uh, but that means you literally close up shop. But Obviously, we're all, all in business. We're all here to do something. And I think the fundamental thing that everyone should have as the awareness step is that when you take on a business or when you start up a business or you know, you're working in any organization, business, doing business is risky, right? You're taking on certain risk to make profits. Right? And that's the simple risk and reward philosophy. You take on risk to make a reward. The question is, are you taking on more risk than you should for that same reward? It's no different than no different than what you know we learned back in the finance 101 class. You know, if I invest in these stocks, right, I can make a return of I don't know uh, two two dollars for every dollar I invest in, but I'm taking on a risk of five times more than I could through another investment. 
yeah. in which I'm only taking a risk of maybe two times and I'm still making that $2 for every $1, then, you know, the sensible thing is you take the lower risk and you maximize the reward you can. The same thing applies to business. The same thing applies to security. If you take that and you really change that mindset into a risk-based approach, how much do I actually take on and what am I doing? And so I guess if we then apply that technique or if you apply that thought methodology to the hacking examples that you've been given and, you know, given all the hacking examples and breaches that have been happening recently in the past few weeks or even past couple of days, you know, they're, they're really rated as a high severity. Uh, and I guess what you can be doing is um, actually having an upfront program or even just like, even if you're a startup, actually having just a mini risk management program and saying, okay, well, how can I reduce the likelihood of this happening? Look, at the end of the day, if someone breaches in, they can still create a lot of havoc. But how do I actually reduce the chance of that happening? Or if it does happen, how do I recover from it? So I guess this is where you need to be looking at what's the attack surface vector? So you mentioned things like, okay, what can I do about two-factor authentication? What can I do about all these? These are things I would actually classify as controls. But if we take a step before and actually do a risk assessment and say, okay, well, if cybersecurity, if I want to be getting, you know, increasing my aptitude in this, if I take a cyber risk approach, so I guess this is where my fusion is coming in. You take the hacking principles, you take your risk management principles, and you take a cybersecurity principles, you mush them all together and you fuse them together. I guess this is how you'd be approaching, or this is one way that um, all the listeners could be approaching and saying, okay, well, what are the, uh, what's the attack surface area? So, I mean, if you're referring to your website or if it's the database behind your website in terms of, you know, all your members or um, it could be other financial data that you might be actually holding if you're a bank or a, an insurer, then what's the attack surface area? And what are the vectors that be, could be coming in? Okay, well, look, you know, there could be a denial of service attack and people could, you know, not be able to access their um, funds in the account or is it, um, you know, a worm that's infiltrating through the whole system? So think about the Sony um, hack that happened a couple of years ago where a worm actually was able to propagate through their entire system and they got crippled down into actually, you know, continuing on pen and paper and you know okay we'll write things on paper we'll scrunch it up into a ball and we'll throw it over that's their pretty much their email <laughs> system that had actually happened but it was quite important because a lot of the things that we can learn from say say if we use that sony example a lot of the payroll data didn't actually have passwords on it a lot of those files were actually unlocked and anyone could access a lot of the private emails where um, you know, celebrities were saying, no, this, mon the, this money that you're offering is not enough. This is what we want. So all those negotiations, everything was open and they were able to take everything and they were able to take um, movie scripts that hadn't been released yet. And at the end of the day, then just wipe all the tracks and wipe all the data and keep, you know, just walk away. So a lot of it then comes down to going, okay, well, if that's the attack surface area, where is my network perimeter? and understanding your architecture. And then going a step further and saying, okay, if this is my architecture, where are my vulnerable points? Where are my you know, crown jewels? Where are my um, key things that people would wanna be taking? So that might've been that database, it might've been that payroll data, it might've been those negotiations or my movie scripts in Sony's instance. And then going, okay, well, 
what are the risks that could be happening? I could be down if I was an e-commerce site. Imagine if I was Amazon and I was down for, I don't know, 24 hours, how much revenue would I be losing? Um, yes. So it could be things about, yeah, it could be things about uptime. Um, you mentioned at the start of the conversation about, you know, you're losing traffic to your site. Think about the reputational damage uh, all of a sudden that's happening. Well, what about things that are actually um, uh, implicating confidentiality? So all the, remember that all that payroll data, all those celebrity negotiations, and I guess generally the integrity of your data is at, at stake as well. So if you look at those as the risks that are emanating from that, that is where I would say, okay, once you've taken those three to four steps, then your last step would be your two-factor authentication and all this. This is where you're actually coming down into controls. So, well, your two-factor authentication might be one way of, you know, reducing the likelihood of someone compromising your username and password um, because, you know, someone was probably trying to come in and escalate their privileges and then grab um, maybe those payroll files or whatever it may be. Uh, but another thing that I do want to highlight is what about if there is a breach, how do you actually go about recovering from that? And then this is where we get into the concepts of business continuity management, disaster recovery. What are the steps that I need to do? How do I set my recovery point objectives? So look, if we take that Amazon example, 24 hours, is that is that um, too much or too little? That's enough time. Um, or do I need to reduce that recovery objective down to maybe eight minutes? Uh, even that would be a few million dollars um, in lost revenue. But what's sort of the acceptable, uh, acceptable level? And you're probably going to ask me, I can see your facial expression, Anatoly. You're probably going to ask, well, what drives the question about how do I actually make the decision of how much risk to take or not? Yeah, and the final, yeah, that's it's a valid question. And the one thing that I'd say to that is appetite. Mm -hmm. Whether you're working in an organization, your board will probably set some sort of risk appetite. Hey, look, we're we're in this business to make money, but in order to take that money, I don't want you to take any more risk than blah or you know up to this amount of level. Um, uh, whether it be at a cyber level, at a reputational level, at a financial level, at a strategic level, I do not want you to be going above this threshold. That's that's pretty much what your appetite um, is dictating. And the same thing you would be doing if it was your own company or if you were consulting for someone as a client. So I guess if I sort of mix and match your questions and put them all together, that's the sort of framework I would be suggesting that people go, okay, well, what skills do I need to learn in how do I relate that to, I guess, cybersecurity in this instance? You would actually be going down all those elements. You'd go, okay, this is my attack surface area. These are the vectors. These are the, this is the network perimeter. So I need to know my architecture. These are all the risks that are emanating from it. These are the controls that I need to be placing. And these are based on my appetite. And if you take those six steps across, I think that would be something, at least I would be if I was in, I guess our listeners' shoes, when I look for a training or an L&D program or something that can teach me, it would be on those facets because then I can truly apply this in today's society that is transforming so rapidly at a, digitally at such a rapid rate. Yeah, so valuable. Yeah, love it. And, you know, uh, uh, I mentioned about my uh, the second attack, but the first attack, destroyed my first business you know, in 2020 oh, wow. 
Yeah, uh, I, I had an online shop and uh, that was a DOS attack and I didn't have any knowledge and experience with that. And uh, we lost uh, 10 days uh, of the best best-selling days uh, in Christmas and uh, New Year. And yeah, I couldn't recover from this DOS attack. And yeah, we lost this business because we had a lot of goods. We didn't know what we can do with them. And uh, but it's interesting that um, uh, the tool can help uh, to decide this problem for 10-15 uh, minutes. But we didn't yeah. know about that. <laughs> yeah, simple. Yeah, I think it's better to, to learn before. Uh, yeah, to, to that's have more that's a very good. Uh, that's a very good lesson, I guess, for everyone out there. Because it's one having the what you've just touched on is a having the awareness, b knowing the underlying technology, and c being able to protect yourself or recover from it. Uh, it's very interesting. Just in that example, you mentioned those three, or you alluded to those three elements. But that's exactly the things that I tell everyone when they ask me, they're like, well, Smith, what should I actually be learning? Like, as in, if you know, by 2025, I need to know all these skills, what should I focus on? And I always come down to those three. One is the emerging technology. You've got to know how to build it, or you've got to know how the technology works. Two, you've got to know the risk management angle, because you've got to be able to uphold that technology. And three, you've got to know the cybersecurity, because you've got to be able to protect that technology. We're only going to be going further ahead with more technology and advancing our technology programs. Those three skills will always underpin any single role that you take on, no matter where you are, own company, consulting for clients, or working for a certain organization in any industry. Those three elements will never fail you. So those are the skills. And you've, you've highlighted it in that example without saying them. So I guess um, it's kind of inherent. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Amy. Valuable. So valuable. I've learned a lot. Yeah. Uh, and uh, tell how people can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Look, um, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn, Sumit Kuka. And um, yeah, I'd be happy to have a chat. Um, feel free to connect, um, uh, reach out with a message. Uh, you can also reach our um, website, aracena.com. Uh, there's a lot of um, information there as well, and there's more information to come uh, early in the new year as well, so stay tuned. Uh, a lot of new initiatives that we're taking, uh, but a lot of there, the information you can see, sort of the upskilling programs and these kind of elements, how we're actually focusing on those fusion programs, and um, also in terms of what kind of upskilling that you should be doing, how to actually apply them to your organization, and um, I guess for any of um, Anatoly's listeners out there as well, if you want to reach out for even just a um, chat, you know, uh, no charges, just a free consultation even on how you can build your own upskilling program. Say if you wanted to do this yourself and you wanted to run these programs in your organization, um, we've definitely got a lot of experience and a lot of, um, uh, I guess, intellectual property in that space. And we can teach you and we can show you some tips and tricks on actually how to get started and yeah, I'd be happy to do that for all of your listeners. Yeah, thanks. Uh, okay, guys, you will find all these links in the description below. Listen us on Google, Apple, Spotify. Thanks a lot for your time. It's valuable. Yeah, uh, I noted a few insights I, I'm going to share with my team. And thanks, guys, for listening and watching us. 
Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.